was going into Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. The droids are clean, the vaporizers are patched, and the speeders fueled. It's time to pick up some blue milk and power converters. You're listening to Toshi Station Radio, brought to you by the Majestic Giraffe Network. Now here are your hosts for the Snarkist Podcast in Star Wars and Geek Culture, Brian and Nancy. From the outskirts of Anchorhead and on the shores of the Great Shot Flats, you're listening to Tashi Station Radio, the bright center in the universe for all things Star Wars and geek culture. I'm your host, Brian, and with me, as always, is my co-host and wife, Nancy. Hi! On today's episode, we're talking with our friends, Megan and Mike, about Empire's End. We're about to get started, so sit back, grab some power converters, and enjoy the show. And thanks for coming on, Megan. We've had you on before, I believe, so thanks for coming back. You're welcome. Yeah, I'm always happy to talk to you guys. And you can hear Megan on Western Reaches with Saf. Megan, is this the first time we've had you back on TSR since you guys started uh, doing Western Reaches? I think so. Oh man, um, it might have been. We there's been some crossover. Like Nancy, you came on Western Reaches at one point, yeah, right? I did. And then, oh man, and I don't you came remember. on the yeah, book club. I, I was yes, on, I was on the book club. <laughs> I was on Western Reaches to talk about um, something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a game of some sort oh, no. a game no man's which, sky yes there we go a game i haven't played in a while because yeah it uh didn't hold my a, interest yeah i meant to ask you about that actually but that'll be really off topic so yeah there's been quite a lot of, quite a lot of crossover but i don't think i've been back on the main tsr show in a while that's okay. We've barely been recording the main TSR show in, the, in a while. And uh, Mike, we had you on a, uh, I think we had you on a side episode of, of Dice and Droids. Yeah. Yeah, back when uh, you were getting like a bunch of people who were pretty much beginners to uh, tabletop and stuff. And yeah, I was yeah. like, I'll jump in. Yeah, we had you play the uh, Age of Rebellion beginner game with us. Yep. Yeah, that was fun. One day we'll play the Force Awakens beginner game that's still in the packaging. I've I've got some plans. <laughs> I've got some plans for that. Those plans may include Amy Ratcliffe. Uh, we'll come back to that. Yay. Uh, but yeah, uh, hey, before we go too much further, a note from our sponsors. Tashi Station Radio is brought to you in part by our awesome Patreon subscribers. Uh, click the link on Tashi-Station.net for more details and learn how you can support the show. And we're also brought to you in part by Her Universe. Fill out your world with Star Wars, Star Trek, Marvel, Transformers, Doctor Who, and other fandom-inspired wardrobe and jewelry. Click the link on our blog to purchase awesome geek gear and keep the lights running on the podcast. And thank you all for helping us purchase new microphones that we have. Yes, uh, thank you, Patreon supporters. We have completely revamped our uh, recording setup. We have a new mixer and uh, some lovely new Electrovoice microphones. So you get to hear our inanity in even higher fidelity now. Yay! <laughs> all right, Nancy, fixers flash the geeky things we've been up to. Uh, I started reading Empire's End again. <laughs> what? <laughs> because it came out on tuesday and so now i have a digital copy so i have been reading that and um i am still reading the Vercozigan series um the book i'm reading right now is not my favorite but um 
I am liking Miles more as he gets older, so that's good. <laughs> um, and um, I also, kind of nerdy news, I got glasses because I'm old. <laughs> I've had glasses since I was 10. Come on. Yes, but mine <laughs> happened because my eyesight has deteriorated, not just because... And mine didn't? <laughs> yes, but mine deteriorated because of age. <laughs> the deteriorations happens at different speeds. Yes. So, yes, mine, I had perfect vision my entire life and flaunted it, and this is... This is my hubris now. I have <laughs> reading glasses. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I have reading glasses now. So, if you, your hubris, I know. <laughs> That's all right. You're in good company. I know. My I, uh, my boss told me today. He was like, "Don't don't grow your hair out and put it in a bun." And I was like, "Why?" And he's like, "You know." And give me a look. I'm like, "Oh." Because then I'll have the sexy librarian thing going on. <laughs> and he laughed. And I was like, we'll see. I am growing my hair out, so. That could be my next Halloween costume. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes, that's all I've been doing. Okay, that's all you've been up to. Yeah. As for me, I've just been watching The Expanse and reading The uh, Expanse books. <laughs> so you've. You've been expansing. I've been expansing. <laughs> Expanding, rather. I will continue to say that Avasalara continues to be the best character in both the books and the show. I will agree with you on the show. I haven't read the books. And also, I, I, whenever I watch the show, I find myself saying, Miller, what the hell are you doing a lot? Yeah, that's true for the books, too. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Good to know. I, that, you're not missing anything there. Yeah, it's a very much a... Uh, Constant game of Miller, what the hell are you doing? Thematically, you mentioned the other day that you saw um, Thomas Jane as possibly playing Sinjir. I do see Thomas Jane as possibly playing Sinjir. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Why? Mainly because now I've started headcanning Sinjir as a person of color, so... I mean, I yeah, I, I can get behind that as well. Yeah. It's the same reason... We'll come back to that later. It's the same reason why I love the idea of Michael Fassbender playing him. I also don't want that. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back to that later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, other than that, I've just been revamping the studio setup. Yeah. Got a really nice a Yamaha uh, MG10XU uh, uh, mixer here. Uh, USB compatible, so it's great for your four-channel or four-port input uh, recording needs. And uh, some new ElectroVoice RE320 microphones, the RE20's little brother. Oh my god. <laughs> this, pod this podcast has been brought to you in part by Yamaha and ElectroVoice. <laughs> uh, oh. Megan, what have you been up to? I have been replaying the original Mass Effect because oh, wow. Andromeda is coming out in about a month and uh, a friend and I were going through Mass Effect 3 and I was so tempted to just start with a new Shepard and go and experience the whole thing again. That's a lot and of I'm game to play like, though. Yeah, I I'm not going to like finish the whole trilogy before Andromeda comes out because Horizon is coming out in four days and so I can't do that but I started uh, the original one my character is loosely based on Ray Sloan which has led me to many moral quandaries about what <laughs> Ray Sloan do 
And I've been having fun with that. You know, Megan, this just reminds me, I need to have you on a note of Dice and Droids episode sometime. Yes. <laughs> I, I would enjoy that. I'm not, um, I haven't played tabletop games in a long time, but I would enjoy that. You could have her be the DM. Ooh. Ooh. He was oh, trying man. to get, he was trying to get me to GM and I said no. Yeah, I'm looking for, <laughs> I'm looking for a rookie game manager for this, uh, side episode to go through the, um go through the uh tfa beginner game oh boy wow that's a heck of a question to be asked (laughs) (laughs) well you don't have to answer right now i was it was just a suggestion (laughs) i'm definitely interested yay um so the the other thing that i've been doing is i did start the vorkosigan saga yay Um, yes did we it talk about this? <sighs> no, we haven't. Ah, <laughs> uh, yay. It was talked up by some people who I generally have believe have good tastes in books, <laughs> such as yourselves. Yay. So I started Shards of Honor, and I, I did, I'm only about three chapters in. Mm-hmm. I did not know that it was, like, this book is a prequel. It's about yes. the parents yes. of the actual main character. Mm-hmm. So... I like them I was- better so far. <laughs> Wait, say again? I like them better so far. <laughs> well, I, I was going along and, and enjoying it, but my first thought was, and I, I say this in the best way possible, like I feel like I have to qualify this many, many times, <laughs> but I really do mean it as a, a good or at least neutral thing. It sounded really mu- uh, like a fanfic. See, (laughs) that doesn't carry any negative weight with us. Yeah, That's good. I like to clarify, because it does with with many people. That was my thoughts about Lost Stars. Yeah, that was my exact thoughts about Lost Stars was fanfic, so. Because it's it's two people um, sort of stuck in an unpleasant situation. Mm -hmm. Three people, really, but I think two of them, it's quite obvious that yep. they're going to be the couple. It's the enemies I mean, to that's lovers like, trope. That's, that's, like the, uh, that's like the foundational basis to some of my, most of my favorite fan fiction. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't disagree with you there. I, <laughs> I, it's not a bad, it, the, the like road trip through terrible war-torn lands is a great trope that I love. Um, I just, I didn't really expect that. So, and then I realized that they were the parents of the main character and was kind of like, oh, I see exactly what's going on here. I, I'm comfortable with this. I know these paths. So I'm, I'm very much in the beginning, but I will absolutely keep you updated on how that's going. Yeah. Um, so I believe that Shards of Honor was the first book she wrote. So like, so if you read like the wiki article, because that's what I use to give me my reading order, because I have the omnibuses, not the individual books. So I have to like go and figure out what what book I have to read next. So I'm reading in chronological order. um, But the publication order was a lot different. Uh, So like, I think she wrote Shards of Honor first, and then the Warriors Apprentice. And then, like, several books later, she went back and wrote Berear, which is the direct sequel to Shards of Honor. Like, they're basically one big book. And I'm like, what the hell, Lois McMaster Bushold? What were you doing? <laughs> so, 
I'll have to ask you what like the best order to read them in is after I finish this one. Yeah, I I would I would just go to the wiki article and it has a chronological order in there right there so that's that's what i'm following so like right now i'm so i've read four books so far i've i uh shards of honor berear uh warrior's apprentice uh vor game and now i'm on set aganda um so yeah the third miles book but yeah um, interesting interesting so far berear is my favorite berear is amazing and I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on it. <laughs> cool. I will absolutely keep you updated. Yay. And uh, Mike, what have you been up to? Um, Just the usual reading Wonder Woman, as <laughs> most of you probably know how I am. What, Mike? You like Wonder Woman? What? <laughs> what are your thoughts yeah. on Gal Gadot or Gal Gadot or however you pronounce her last name? I think it's Gadot. Gadot. <laughs> uh, I like her, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I've been just reading the Rebirth series. Uh, actually, this past week, the first trade paperback came out for it. I've been, I mean, I've been collecting all the single issues since they came out, but I when I go to the comic shop, I'm going to pick that up because then it's easier to reread that than going through and sneaking out all the single issues that are packed away in the box. Um, and then I've been going back and getting a couple other like trade paperbacks from years ago and reading my way through old stuff like that. So, yeah, it's just a lot of Wonder Woman and regular Star Wars. Yay. Who's who did the uh who did that first uh or the run on the first trade? Uh Greg Rucka. Oh, oh, oh. Of course. Crap. Yeah. <laughs> I need to yeah. get in on this. Yeah, trust me. Yeah. The he's he's been kicking ass with it. <laughs> cool. Clearly I've been missing out if uh Greg Rucka's doing doing Wonder Woman. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, hey Nancy, what is new on the blog? Uh, we've got uh, lots of Empire's End stuff. Uh, that we do, and we have more coming. To, to no surprise, uh, we had our usual spoiler-free go-no-go, um, a full review from Bria, and a column from me and Brian about us reading Empire's End aloud to each other. That was an experience, Nancy. Was. That was really an experience. I don't know if I want to do it again anytime soon. But I think I, I think I'd only do it for select books yeah. that we're really looking forward to. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that was an experience because you and I did not want to spoil each other at all. No, I was. I think that was my. I mean, I uh, here's here's the secret. When you're a married couple doing a blog and podcast, you only get one copy of a review book. Yes, yeah, so we get one copy. And Brian, <laughs> of course, was going to give me the book first to read because he's smart <laughs> and not stupid. <laughs> uh, but then I was like, I don't want to be reading it by myself and not be able to flail with him about it. And then I would worry that I would spill something like, I'm assuming if everyone is listening to this episode, you've read Empire's End. If you this haven't, come back warning. to this episode later. This is your warning <laughs> yeah. that I'm about to spoil something. So I didn't want to see, you know, 
oh, Wedge Angeles dying or not dying, and if he had died, I would not have been able to hide that from Brian. <laughs> so, man, yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> so, um, there was one section. We'll come back to it later, where I looked over at Nancy, like, you know something I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, so yeah, I, I, I proposed, I, we, you know, we got over work and got the book and I'm like, do you just want to read it to back and forth to each other? Cause we had nothing, we really had nothing planned that weekend. So that's what we did for 16 well, that's, hours. That's kind of like me and Megan. When we went to New York Comic Con, we got some inside scoop on the book that nobody else knew about. Uh, do you remember Megan? I I heard I about this. I think it's I safe to drop that now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't even remember what exactly. <laughs> okay. So obviously I've kept the secret because I forgot it. Yeah. Uh, Tom told us that the Jar Jar thing was true. About uh, there ah. actually being a Jar Jar interlude. Because yeah. uh. like Chuck just tweeted it out randomly like while he was writing the book. Yeah. And obviously nobody took him yeah. serious. Everyone's like, oh, Chuck, you, you jokester. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and then at New York Comic Con, Tom, with all of us, he was like, do you want to know something about Empire Zen? <laughs> I can, I can hear this. Actually in it. I can hear this perfectly in Tom's voice, too. <laughs> yeah. But see, this is the secret about being told Star Wars secrets. You think it's really cool and awesome, and then you realize... Oh crap! You can't tell anybody, <laughs> and it gnaws on you, <laughs> and it's <laughs> awful. Tom is great. I have nothing but good things to say about the Delray team. Yeah, you might have noticed on Twitter that he sort of apologized for a similar thing at Celebration at uh, Celebration Anaheim, where I was accidentally spoiled for something and had to like hang on to it for like half a day, <laughs> and then go to him and be like. Did I even hear that right? Is that right? And like, it was it was kind of an amazing experience just because of getting to be able to talk to the behind the scenes people like that. Yeah. It's, it's nice. I really appreciate yeah. that they are so good to fans. I mean, I, I think we can say this now, Nancy. We overheard that Sloan was about to be used for bigger and better things back at, at Celebration Anaheim. Well, yeah, I mean, I, they were they were. I, I'm like, why are they talking about Ray Sloan so much? And it was a it was a congregation of uh, Tom, Leland Chi, and John, and John Jackson, Jackson Miller. Miller. <laughs> wow. So I and I was like sitting right, I was sitting closest to them, so I kind of like like lean over to try to like see and uh, and afterwards, Tom just looks at me, and goes, "You don't hear any of that," and I'm like. I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't hear anything. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, you know, they, we found out that Sloan was in a short story, and then she and we was thought that was in the surprise. Aftermath, and I'm like, oh, she's that's why they were talking about her so much. Yeah, we were we were there at when the seeds were planted for <laughs> Sloan showing up in many more things. And like, I guess I want to emphasize that like Delray is very good at 
keeping things close to their chests if oh, they God. need to. Oh, yes. But yeah. they also they also have a lot of fun with fans, and yeah. I think it's a it's a really nice relationship. Yeah, that's why it makes me laugh when people are like, "Oh, we got a scoop," and I'm like, "You didn't get a scoop unless they wanted you to get a scoop." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I mean, we'll we'll always go back to the Thrawn thing. Yeah, like, did anyone know that book was coming out? Nope. <laughs> so. So yeah, um, yeah. So we read a book, and <laughs> so we didn't get spoiled. <laughs> and Sloan was in it. Yes, <laughs> and Sloan was in it. Yay. Um, yeah, we've got other stuff going up on the blog, more spoilery stuff, and I th- believe Matthew will have an audiobook review. Yeah, soon Matthew has an audiobook uh, review coming. Um, Bria finally got off Terrace in her Kotor replay. It takes forever to get off freaking Terrace. <laughs> Is that the first planet? Uh, yes. Oh God, yeah. The stupid sewers you gotta go into the lower levels then you gotta go into the underworld then you gotta come back to the top and then go back to the yeah yeah Yeah. uh she also reviewed the last episode of rebels legacy of mandalore in which um there were many conflicting feelings i'm so conflicted (laughs) so many conflicting feelings about that um, I am very excited about tomorrow's episode because <laughs> Thrawn's in it, and I think so. Uh, yes, the infamous Thrawn training scene. Yeah, sun's out, guns out. <laughs> <laughs> How does someone like Thrawn tan though? What does that become? Darker blue. Ah, okay. <laughs> he turns into a plum. <laughs> <laughs> Also, I'm one. I also, um, everyone is like, "Is Gal's gonna die? Is Gal's gonna die?" I'm like, "Yeah, things." If I shake the the magic eight ball, it's like things look bad. <laughs> Poor Outlook bleak. Outlook not so good. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Nancy. Hey, Deke Sturt, news from around fandom. We're starting with uh, news that just dropped this week. The There is going to be a 40th anniversary panel at Celebration kicking off the whole show. Uh, that is going to be on the Thursday. And uh, what's in the box? What's in the box? Uh, I mean, what's the surprise? <laughs> so, yeah, on the Star Wars show this week, they announced that there was going to be a 40th anniversary panel. Um, be, and, and people were curious because when they announced um, that there would be a Last Jedi panel, which of course there would be with Ryan Johnson and Kathleen Kennedy, but that was going to be on the Friday. So everyone was like, well, that's weird. They're going to have it on a Friday? Like, like they usually don't. Usually it's on the Thursday or the first day of the con. So you can open it up with the movie. Um But then they announced this and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. You know, kick it off with the anniversary and they'll I'm assuming they'll have Mark Hamill there and Peter Mayhew and like all the other people. Mark Hamill will come out on stage and point at people. Yes, he will. (laughs) Everyone will cry about Carrie and it'll be very sad. Um, And then everyone is like, what's the surprise? What's the big surprise? Because they said you guys want to be there. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Uh, I, I I know what it is. I know what it is. What is it? We are finally, <laughs> after way too many years, getting an MP3 of the frickin' music on the sail barge in Return of the Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> finally getting it. That's, that's cruel. 
<laughs> I want that music really bad. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so people were started to, you know, guessing what it would be and People were throwing this out. Maybe Harrison Ford will be there. Um, maybe they'll show the trailer for The Last Jedi there, which I don't know what... I, I mean, I guess I could see that, but then it would... Like, the panel would kind of be a letdown from that. <laughs> um, so I... My theory is... is I, I was thinking about it, and then I was like, oh my god, it's so freaking obvious what could be a big surprise for an anniversary of star wars you have to have george there because mm. it's an anniversary panel so that's my theory is george yes he's going to come out and say um we're going to uh <laughs> going to uh release the uh movies in 4k uh, 4K. I'm so glad that even though George isn't involved in Star Wars anymore, <laughs> you still bust out the impression every once in a while. I, it's too good of an impression to not have. Yeah. <laughs> Although no one's got as good of a George impression as uh, Henry Gilroy does. Oh god, yeah, that was good. But yeah, because I was like thinking about it, I'm like, there's no way they can talk about Star Wars and making Star Wars and not have him there. That would be so weird. So, that's my theory. Anyone else have a theory? No one. I think it would definitely be cool if George Lucas was there. I saw him at Celebration Anaheim in, I guess it was Celebration 5, the one where Jon Stewart interviewed him. Yeah. In which um, we got Stu John canonized. Was he at Celebration Thanks. Anaheim? Yes. He um, was? Was he at Anaheim? I, I don't I don't think he was. So. Uh, no, he was at, uh, he was he at, was at the last couple celebrations in Orlando, Yeah. Though. He was at six. Mm -hmm. He crashed at six. But in terms of this panel, Celebration is shaping up to have a really exciting first day between yeah. this and The Last Jedi. I don't I don't need a lot from this panel, I think. <laughs> I want this to be a super nostalgic panel. Right. I will be like, oh, it's 40 years of the original the original film. That's cool. Maybe they'll show some behind the scenes stuff and um but I, I don't know. I wasn't really thinking about this one in terms of what big surprise could it be. Mm. This just seems like sort of a nice, pleasant, nostalgic panel. Yeah. But there may very well be something big. If they're going to pull out all the stops for anything, it'll be celebration. Yeah. Yeah, I could see, like, uh, I mean, the other thing people were speculating that they would finally put the theatrical versions out on dvd or blu-ray oh, or whatever yeah, yeah that is the elephant in the room yeah. isn't it yeah. that that is my guess and i i've long maintained that if uh it's technically feasible and it doesn't cost uh lucasfilm and disney an arm and a leg to remaster them they'll do it yeah yeah and i mean i would i would pick that up i know a lot of people and even more casual fans, like people who are not super hardcore Star Wars fans still know the difference between the special edition and the original edition. It would certainly, I think a lot of people would like that. Well, yeah, mm. and I, I think there's value in having that available just for archival purposes. Mm. Yeah. Right. 
Um, so yeah, the, we've got that panel. Um, and also celebrate other celebration news. They released the key artwork um for the convention and it's really pretty it's got all the like a bunch of the characters and most importantly luke is right in the middle right where he should be you you, you mean unlike the uh blu-ray box artwork what is i don't even know what that looks i don't even remember what that looks like (laughs) it was the one with the big anakin in the middle and uh, luke was there in the top right corner is it yeah oh i don't know but um yeah i i it, it's really pretty i like it a lot and i need to get a print of it i feel kind of bad a little bit because i don't love this poster and Aww. i'm i'm definitely excited for the uh celebration art show a lot of artists i really like yeah. are gonna be there but th- there's a lot of blank space in the middle of this poster mm-hmm. and it's it's where the twin suns are like it's not really blank it's the Tatooine mm-hmm. sky but it something about it doesn't quite flow right to me but that's just like that's just me I'm sure it's it's fine I, it just like I was like am I the only one that doesn't love this poster a little bit <laughs> now was that the final version of the poster or was there a colorized version that may be coming I don't know I think that's the final because okay. the badges are all like, the badges are all, yeah, like, monochromatic. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and oh, I do true, love the look of the badges. Yeah. Yeah, I'm interested to find out what which images are going to be on which badges, because they still haven't yeah. that year like, they announced made, them yet. Remember that year they made Palpatine the media badge? Yep. <laughs> we'll probably get Kylo Ren this time. <laughs> or Hux or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, so that's it for Deke's start. But Big's bullshit, we've got some film news here. Yeah. Uh, the Han Solo movie, we've got some news there. Uh, principal f- photography has started. Those are two hard words to say back to back. Not more than Tall War World Tar. <laughs> <laughs> and we've got some uh, new cast members confirmed. Yes. Um, so uh, we knew about Donald Glover and Woody Harrelson and uh, Amelia Clark. And Alden Ehrenreich, but we also got um, confirmation that uh, Tandy Newton and I cannot remember her name. What was what is her name? <laughs> the Phoebe Phoebe something Phoebe Waller or something. Yes, yeah. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> uh, they are also in the movie. Hold on, I just pulled it up. Phoebe. Oh, Come on, computer. <laughs> Phoebe Waller-Bridge, that's what it is. You had most of it there. Yeah. Yeah. And also, um, Junus Swatamo is playing Chewbacca again. He... <laughs> Thank you, Brian. He played uh, Chewie in The Force Awakens during a lot of the action sequences. Um, so he is now fully taking over the role. And I that makes me happy because I, I like him. He's very enthusiastic and it's always it's always sweet to see people who are big star wars fans get to do that um i just hope that woody harrelson wears that hoodie throughout the entire movie (laughs) and has that dumb look on his face like hey i'm here too guys i just wanted to play woody from cheers (laughs) dispense knowledge to han (laughs) how's life treating you mr solo (laughs) Uh, yeah. 
this is a weird movie. Like, I'm sure I'll see it. Doesn't it doesn't help that we've got the 21 Jump Street and Lego movie directors handling it. Well, that does help because it, I, I mean, wouldn't be does, interested it does, otherwise. It does help, but it doesn't alleviate the weirdness of it. Yeah. But it yeah. makes it makes me hopeful that it's this is a funny, lighthearted movie because that's what I want out of a Han Solo origin story. Like I want if I want a funny movie where Han is just talking shit and being Han. <laughs> that's I'll certainly I'm be curious to see who they're playing. That this one also, and I think I've said this before. It's uh, it doesn't quite have a hook for me. It's not there, you know. Han is not my favorite character, but I yeah. think the directors will do good things with it. Um, yeah, I agreed with you there. Yeah, curious to see who these who these uh actors are playing and yeah. whether we'll get any more aliens. Maybe. Yeah, like, the I, rumor. I had zero rumor... interest in this movie mm-hmm. until uh, Miller and Lord were brought on board. And then when they cast Donald Glover. It's like, yeah, I'm in. <laughs> um, you have my attention. Yeah, I believe they, the rumors have been that Phoebe Waller-Bridge is playing some sort of motion capture character. And a lot of sites are saying that she's going to be a, a droid, which makes me happy because we haven't really had a major female droid. And, you know, Star Wars droids are so iconic and, you know, like wisecracking. And it would be really cool to see a female droid in that in that vein for once so yeah yeah that would be good yeah i'm interested most just to see how the the world of the the film is because obviously it's before a new hope but we don't know exactly when so it's gonna be how much of a bridge between yeah. like the Clone Wars and the original trilogy is it going to be? You know. Yeah, agreed. It'll be interesting to see if there's like any tie-ins to Rogue One or anything like that. No. Yeah, I-, I got something I want to pitch to you. Oh no, Thandy Newton. <laughs> yes, playing a gender swapped race swap Talon card. Yes, <laughs> I could do that. I mean, or she could just be a smuggler. I would, yeah. I yes, I actually, please. Yeah. Yes, please. <laughs> I think about the dark times, and I just think about whether there would be any Coruscant Nights cameos, and like, I mean it sincerely. I do. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um. So what else? Oh, uh, we got um Rogue One home video release dates. Uh. March 24th, the digital version will be available, and or is it March 27th? I don't remember. It's one of those days. Yeah. And then April 4th on Blu-ray, which is one week before Celebration. Uh, so, Justin, Rogue One will be out on video, and then the next week will be Celebration, and then the floodgates for The Last Jedi can open up, just mm-hmm. like everyone said would happen. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, every time everyone was like why don't we have a trailer yet I'm like because Rogue One is still in theaters because <laughs> Rogue One hasn't come out on home video yet come on guys this is not hard patience oh my god <laughs> that's bad <laughs> I know I, can't, I really cannot do a good Yoda I can do other voices yeah. but I cannot do Yoda so yes and finally Let's talk about Josh Gad's Instagram videos. Can we please? Oh, absolutely. We can talk about Josh Gad's Instagram videos. 
So Josh Gad has been filming, and if you don't know who Josh Gad is, he is the voice of Olaf from Frozen. Bees that buzz. Yes. Kids will blow dandelion Very fuzz. good. Very good. Uh, <laughs> and he is also in, I believe he was in the Book of Mormon. Yes, he um, was. And yeah. he... He's in Beauty and the Beast. He's too. in Beauty and the Beast. He is LeFou. Uh, and he is filming a remake of Murder on the Orient Express with Daisy Ridley. And many other people. Uh, so the last, the title of the last Jedi was announced, and the next day he posted a video of him asking Daisy if she was the last Jedi, <laughs> and um, it became a thing where he would pester her with questions, and she'd be like, "Josh, Josh, I can't answer the questions." <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, finally, he pulled in Dame Judi Dench to ask questions. Uh, Including, what's the deal with Raylo? <laughs> I didn't know how much I needed Dame Judy Tench saying, "What's the deal with Raylo in my life?" Um, uh, and then so the good. final one was him inviting her over to his home, where he had a big crew of people pestering her with questions, including, um, oh, I just dropped on his name guy Chris from Pratt. hamilton leslie uh, leslie odom, odom jr uh leslie odom jr asking if there would be uh any um musical, musical numbers. numbers uh bryce dallas howard asking if her heels got stuck in the grate of the millennium falcon which was <laughs> hilarious if you know the controversy from jurassic world um uh, several uh phoebe uh, uh, penelope cruz asking a question about snoke in spanish <laughs> uh and chris pratt being chris oh, pratt, chris pratt was, that was my favorite that part. was peak chris pratt was uh, so good. i didn't see the I'm chris in, pratt one. Oh, he oh. Was, i'm in guardians of the galaxy <laughs> like and, and then he's like i can answer this I'm in the Avengers. <laughs> so he yeah, did. and he comes back and he's like, "Oh, I'm in Jurassic World coming out next Jurassic year." Jurassic World is coming out June 2018. <laughs> and then so uh, Colin Trevorrow was there and also asked a question. Uh, and then the video ends with a gentleman asking, "Is Luke finally having any lies in this one? Please tell me, Daisy." And it's none other than JJ Abrams. <laughs> <laughs> and he has such a deadpan jj's deadpan is very like, please, underrated please tell me daisy and then they pan the camera back to her and she's just trying so hard not to laugh <laughs> that's part of why i love it though because she finds it funny too yeah oh she's definitely in on it yeah all the people who are like oh this isn't funny she's and she stop ignoring her i'm like She's laughing, obviously. Yeah. She, yeah, she's very much in on the joke. Yeah. So, and I mean, of course she is because it bothers her, so she can get ahead of it. Why wouldn't you? So yeah, I just love those videos. And then I saw someone suggest, and I, I, I wish I could remember who it was suggested this because it was such a good idea uh, on Twitter that Josh Gad should host the Last Jedi panel at Celebration. <laughs> oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> and I would love that. <laughs> I'd be down for that. Yeah. So yeah. All right, Cammy's concerns. Why don't we finally get into our discussion topic for the week? It's gonna be a long <laughs> podcast. 
Empire's End. Again, if you have not read the book yet, we're going to spoil the crap out of things. So come back later. Yeah. Bye. Yes. <laughs> That's me. You want me to talk? Yes, I'd like you to talk. <laughs> I did the segue. You now introduce the topic. Empire's End. Um, let's start with the New Republic plotline. So... First of all, the book is uh, it's divided into five parts. Um, this is important to me because I'm very organized. And the first thing I did was I looked to see how many pages the book was, how many chapters the books had, and and if there were different parts. Because I like to know. And that's why I like reading ebooks because I can just look in the table of contents and not have to worry about accidentally seeing something I don't want to see. So anyway, um, there's many different uh, plot lines going on. Uh, the New Republic plot line, um, and there are several things going on in that too. So the main one is Mon Mothma trying to convince the Senate to vote for an attack on Jakku. Um, and immediately I was sort of surprised by this because... When Life Dead ended, it ended with them on Jakku and the f the, the whole fleet there. Um, so I was expecting Empire's End to open up and, you know, battle begin pretty quick. Um, so the fact that there was a whole subplot of Mon Mothma trying to convince the um, New Republic to attack, I, ch I, thought, I thought that was really interesting and... When I, you know, got more into it, I'm actually really glad that he didn't just start off right away with the battle and showed how actually that, you know, that took place. There were several parts in the beginning of this book where I felt like uh, Chuck Wendig had a really good method of creating suspense, yeah. which was that... All of the characters really wanted to get going. Yes. Like, <laughs> yeah. There were several conversations that were clearly just characters saying, I just want to go to Jakku yeah. right now. And Chuck having to be like, wait, there are reasons you can't do this. Let me explain them to you. <laughs> um, and then having to come up with them. Yeah. <laughs> um, which I thought actually was was quite effective to keep it interesting and to keep a sort of sense of tension. Um, Mon Mothma's particular case was so different from what the kind of political stuff we've seen in the expanded universe before. Yeah. Yeah. yeah with the, the thing with, you know, the Senate and all that, it just, it a lot of it reminded me of bloodline for some reason. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. It just had a lot of shades of it. For, I don't know, like it just to me at least, it felt like the Senate's like sort of just floundering around while you know, and Bloodline Lay is trying to do all this stuff, and then the Senate's just like, nah, we're all set, and then the same thing here. Yeah, yeah, very much so, and that's a good thing. I think that the tone of those were so consistent, but I um, I sort of. Wasn't sure how I felt about Mon Mothma here because mm -hmm. the Senate is definitely portrayed as sort of a variable or a something that stalls her. But she was this interesting mix of a sort of pacifist, you know, last 
book, she voted to really cut down on the, the New Republic's military, and also someone who was kind of really willing to to sort of be a little bit conniving. I'm trying to say it in a way that doesn't sound like she's not evil. She's yeah. just she's a politician. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I Basically, wonder if. Uh... Even less so than in Bloodline, there was no, like, okay, she's the good politician and here's the bad politician. They both really um, sort of jockeyed for a position and tried to undercut each other and both kind of did things that were a bit sneaky. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if uh, other people in universe just didn't give Mon Mothma credit for being as pragmatic as she turned out to be. Yeah. I, I'm, I, I, it's funny because I've been reading, rereading the Thrawn trilogy and one, you know, one of the plot lines of that book is, um, bringing in Garmbel Iblis, who was one of the founders of the rebellion and left after, um, Alderaan because he w- didn't like what Mon Mothman was doing and was worried about her consolidating power. And in, the Legends universe, I never got that sense of that Mon Mothma would do that. Like, she always just seemed like this very, like, like, kind of like, almost like the principal of the school, you know? Like, she never really did anything that was controversial, you know? She wanted to, like, listen to everyone and, you know, get everyone's opinions and make everyone happy. And, I feel like in the new canon, I feel I get much more of a sense of a personality and like that she will be conniving when she has to be. Um, and I, I see more of the woman who Bell Iblis would have left the rebellion <laughs> because of and not what we saw in Legends. So I just thought that mm-hmm. was kind of interesting because I'm like, I could totally see like someone leaving the rebellion because of her after reading these books, but not Hmm. after reading Legends. She's much more of a major player here for both good and bad. Yeah. And it was almost, in in Bloodline, it's almost reversed, where you get more of Leia Mm -hmm. than Mon Mothma. And here, Mon Mothma takes a lot of the weight of the plot, which is not a bad thing. I think it's really good, especially that, like, a female leader is part of such a big plot but as part of that this book especially shows us a sort of characterization for her that's different than what we got in the expanded universe and I as I was reading it I sort of had to figure out like okay how much of this is something I'm really enjoying because I do think it flows well and it's interesting and how much of it is just sort of feels different from the EU and is intriguing because I'm trying to figure out the differences. Yeah. Well, not just different from the EU, but just Star Wars literature as a whole has never really done politicians with much nuance. Right. And with Mon Mothma, you get you get a uh, you get a politician that really feels like they've been in the political sphere for decades. Mm-hmm. That, that is experienced in having to compromise and having to put their foot down at different times and having to be pragmatic and having to do all of the sort of things that uh, are not glamorous of being a politician. So a lot of credit to Chuck there for uh, actually giving a Star Wars politician the nuance they deserve. 
And this is our post-Rogue One Mon Mothma. Yeah, too. yeah. So this is the Mon Mothma that we've seen, like, send Cassian right. out and, and restrict Jin from doing what she wants. And I, I like that we're getting more about her. I wouldn't say she's, like, my favorite character, but I like that she's getting to sort of carry her own weight a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, she always had a big role in Legends, but it was always kind of towards the background. And, like, she was just someone that, you know... Leia had to either you know had to persuade to see her way yeah, or well, you know in, whatever in legends it was uh yeah mon moth was important because she was in the film so that yeah, carries the weight she, but i feel like <laughs> in, yeah, in these books it's here's why yeah she has that weight behind her i'm gl- and i'm glad that they're paying more attention to her and because you know the more woman characters we have the better and that they were like oh yeah there was one from the movies that we can actually give background to now definitely Um, and i can see her like i i see a difference in her from rogue one to here and i see that you know she saw what happened at scarif and you know the avin and hoth and endor and this is just the logical growth of her so that seems like a good segue into talking about Leia and Han. Yeah. So Leia is not really I mean she is a, she is a politician but she isn't like what we saw in Bloodline where she's a lot, you know, she seemed like she's a lot more important there. Um here she's kind of just like one of the one of the players which which is very much like how she is in Legends during the early books. Um and I mean, I liked them. I know there's some grumbling about the portrayals of them, but I thought they were real. They were shown really well, and it just, um, you know, a typical newlywed couple who's trying to figure out their lives together and expecting a baby. Like yeah. I saw a lot of consternation over that preview scene where Han goes overboard buying fruit for <laughs> Leia. And and I'm thinking to myself, if I'm in that situation, I would do exactly what Han did. (laughs) I thought it was hilarious. Yeah. I thought it was too. Um, I was definitely um, surprised to see some of the conversation around that just because I came at it from a different direction. I wasn't really... I, I didn't mind how uh, how they were written as a couple. I still think that Han's voice is difficult to get through, and mm-hmm. I didn't love his voice in Life Debt. I think here it's still a little bit off. But I, I didn't really mind anything about them as a couple per se. I feel like that there's so much foreshadowing there that all the scenes with Han and baby Ben or unborn Ben we're just like this hurts my heart so much yeah not as much as it hurts his heart in about 30 years (laughs) (laughs) go to your room (laughs) um so yeah um I yeah I liked them and I just I thought it was sweet to see them at this point in time um, I also thought that Sinjir and Condor were very sweet. <laughs> that was my 
segue. (laughs) I have to point them out because I don't do them very well. (sighs) I think in a review, I might have... I don't remember if I actually called them this or if I just thought it in my head. (laughs) They're one of the more like realistic relationships in star wars oh i i am definitely with you on that one yeah because they're not like in some great grand battle like i love thane and sienna like the great grand battles are fine but sinjir and condor are just people who have issues and you don't really see that a lot i mean also they're gay and you don't see that a lot either (laughs) yes but the writing the way Sinjur kind of doesn't really trust himself to be in a relationship was, I thought their entire thing was paced really well. It never yeah. took away from like, this is an action story. It never felt bogged down. It was just, here are people who have really deep emotions and they're dealing with them while also having adventures. Right. Yeah. And we got to see a little bit more of Sinjur's backstory. I, I liked all of that very much. Oh, it was so, so hurt so good. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people talk about how Ray Sloan is their favorite arc through these books, but for me, it is Sinjir has my favorite arc and most, yeah, the one that resonates most with me. Oh, man. Yeah. I love Sloan and we'll talk about her later, but yeah. I feel like Sinjir changes the most. He does. Yeah. Yeah, he definitely does. Yeah. I, so I, 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 he was definitely the character I was most worried about going into the book. <laughs> uh, I was waiting for him to get washed the yeah. whole time. Well, yeah, but mostly I was, I was really worried because you know there are there are two tropes that both Brian and I really dislike, and the first one is kill your gaze, and the second one is redemption by death, and I didn't want either of them to happen to Sinjir. <laughs> I mean, or both of them to happen to Sinjir. And, you know, the last year has been a really bad year in entertainment as yeah. far as kill your gaze goes. Yeah, and I know, like, you know, I, I, I am a writer, so I understand, like, when people say, you you can't say never kill a gay character or never kill a, a character of color, and I understand that, you know, but there are, you know, there are ways to do it where it doesn't have that effect. Um, Whereas, you know, if you have many gay characters and you kill one of them, it's not the same effect. Star Wars doesn't have that luxury because you only got really one or two. And um, I I didn't want, I really didn't want them to do that. Only because I felt, I felt for him that it would just kind of be a cop out. Like he's, he struggled so hard to try to live a normal life again and or to learn to live a normal life basically and you know the fact that he gets to live happily ever after means so much to me (laughs) and i just want to like see adventures of sinjir and condor like going shopping (laughs) or like saving (laughs) the the galaxy adventures of sinjir and condor or saving the galaxy while we're all on their honeymoon i want that (laughs) to happen the part where I made a note in my notes as I was reading this book, which says, this is all ramping up to someone getting killed, isn't it, was actually the conversation, the first one between Sinjir and Jas, mm-hmm. where they're like, yes. we're really good friends. and like, Yes, I thought that too. Yes, and I was like, someone's gonna die. Mm-hmm. And I, I was really happy with where that, that story went also, I think. Yeah. Oh. 
I think you guys maybe on a podcast pointed out that it's nice to see like a male and female friendship and Sinjir mm-hmm. and Jess really had that. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, I agree. And that was something that like was worked through the entire trilogy too. Mm-hmm. Was them their their relationship. Yeah. I um th- I know there was a lot of, you know, people who are whining about the um the scene with Jas and Sinjir in the first book where she says that she's gay or he says that he's gay um and like how it was just out of the blue and you know not you know this wasn't necessary and I'm just like but it was because they you know you see their their friendship evolve over the three books and you know the fact that they are you know still they they become such good friends you know you look back on that scene and it's like <laughs> that's kind of funny you know and it just shows like how much they've grown like as friends from that um plus i mean that's it's a freaking funny scene and people who have a problem with that are stupid <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but yeah, I I mean I could do an entire podcast just on Sinjir and Condor. See, I but was, I won't. I was convinced Sinjir was dead in uh, when he went to give uh, the fruit. Give the yeah. fruit. Basket. Well, so oh, yeah. so this is my evolution. This is Nancy's range of emotions throughout the entire book. <laughs> so like the first part of the book, I'm like, you know, oh Sinjir, I love you. Then Sinjir starts to think about Condor, and he has to go get Condor to help them and i at one point i said to brian when we were reading if this book does not end with the two of them making out i will be really (laughs) mad (laughs) um so and i was like because i was wondering i'm like how is he gonna bring condor back because they're off doing their thing and then i'm like okay well since you're gonna go to jakku because once that happens i'm expecting him to die and then he he doesn't end up going so he has the whole the whole um rescue scene with Condor. Like I was just like flailing the whole time I was reading it and just like this is had hearts in my eyes. This is the greatest thing ever. <laughs> and then Mon Mothma you know He goes offer- to Mon Mothma saying, Send me to Jakku. Yeah, and she's yeah. like, No, be my aide instead. And I'm like is that the end of Sinjir in this book? Like, is that his arc? Oh, yeah, he's safe. He's safe. <laughs> and then <laughs> Brian was reading. So so we switched back and forth reading so we could, you know, take breaks and our voices didn't go out. So Brian was reading and I was in the kitchen, like, doing some stuff. And all of a sudden, Brian goes, oh, shit. And I went, what? <laughs> what? He goes, I don't like this. I'm like, what? Sinjir and Condor in this chapter. <laughs> I'm like, oh no, something bad's gonna happen. And sure enough, Sinjir goes and gets shot in the freaking head. <laughs> and the whole time Brian was reading this, I was like in the kitchen doing stuff and I'm like covering my mouth, like, oh my god, no, 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 no. And then he's like, I think you'll be fine. And I went, oh, thank God. <laughs> So that was my range of emotions of Sinjir through the book. <laughs> it was such a good scene, that whole oh, rescue scene. Oh my god. god, it was so good. Like, yeah. I I mean, 
I have read many, many Star Wars books over With my life. Many rescue scenes. And like and many uh, you know, love scenes or the, you know, I don't want to say consummation, but like, you know, their rela- people, you know, solidifying relationships. And I'm really hard-pressed to come up with any that are as emotional as that one. And I think it's like a, a combination of the way that he pasted and the the, uh, the um, present tense. It just made it so immediate and it was so good. <laughs> it did. And the pacing was good. And like, I, it's very difficult to get me to really enjoy the romantic stuff yeah. in Star Wars. I just, with the exception of Knights of the Old Republic, I don't <laughs> usually go for that. But I just, it was a really well-written scene, you know, kind yeah. of regardless of what you think of the the couple, I think. Right. I think there's, so Luke and Mara is probably, I can't not I'm shocked have that this one. is your answer. <laughs> uh, there's another one that I will not mention because... Podrin it, listens to us. Hi, Podrin. Yeah. Hey, Podrin. But um, <laughs> it's a certain one in a certain book with a certain character <laughs> on, a, on a backwater planet. I really can't wait until they're done with Starfighter <laughs> of Atomar so we can start talking about these books again. Yeah. Um... And and then I w- I think it has to be this one. It was just it was so good. And I'll let you move on now because I'll just talk about this forever. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, thank you, Chuck Wending, for not killing the gay character and letting him live happily ever after because that is way more subversive and a big f you to all the bigots. But you know, even, and if any of you bigots are listening to the podcast, I don't care if I've still, insulted you. How are you still here <laughs> after 162 episodes? Right. How are you still here? Uh, but uh, Condor aside, I really do think Sinjir had the most human, mm-hmm. real, and profound arc. Yeah, in the entire book, because there is there's something eminently relatable to this uh, this idea of struggling to find yourself and finding reasons to improve yourself when you hate who you are, what you've been doing and how you see yourself. Yeah. And that was very much yeah. singular throughout the book or throughout all the books. Yeah. So for sure, not succumbing to the, Oh, I was a terrible Imperial. Therefore I shall die to redeem myself and actually having singular become a better person. Mm hmm. And decide, no, this is what I want to do. This is who I want to be. And letting him carry that arc to completion is just, there's not enough of that Yeah. in fiction, especially with characters like that. Yeah, I mean, actually, you know, there were a lot of people when Vision of the Future came out thought that Mara was dead. Um and that, you know, that's how, she, you know, she would end up redeeming herself, basically. And, you know, she she didn't. She ended up, you know, sacrificing something she loved and, uh, you know, ending up kind of, you know, living happily ever after almost for like 20 years or so. Yeah. <laughs> but it's the same thing, you know, you, you can you can come back from and considering how many former Imperials are in, you know, join the rebellion in the New Republic. Like, it's nice to see 
that happen again. And, you know, it's... I, I will say that Sinjur being a gay character going through that arc is important. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't... It was never because he was gay that he went through that arc, but going through that arc and having this anchor of, oh, he's also gay, is going to cross, is going to connect some wires for Mm -hmm. some young kids who are reading those books. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's important. I wish I had that book (laughs) and that character when I was growing up, because I was smart enough then to make the connection as to what's going on there, and that would have helped me an awful lot. Mm-hmm. So the other plot line that's going on is what's actually happening on Jakku. <laughs> so um, the book starts off with the Nora's crew trying to find Sloane. They track down the bounty hunter Mercurial Swift um, and find out that Sloane is on Jakku. Mercurial Swift is the uh, name of my Menudo cover band, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) So they go to Jakku, and oh no, the Empire's there, and Nora does one of her really stupid things that she does throughout this book, and just hops in the escape pod and (laughs) bails out. Uh, Yeah, Nora was a bit of a loose cannon. (laughs) Oh my god! She was running on kind of a short fuse, this book. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There was some moments where I just wanted Nora to use her words. Yeah. Nora, stop. Think. 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 Slow down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but at the same time, I like seeing flawed characters. Like, that's interesting on its own. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. Because uh, Nora's reaction there and the way she kind of flew off the handle. Yeah, I can see that. I can see. Uh, I can see people in that situation doing that. And I don't blame her. Yeah. Um, so her and Jass end up on Jakku. Also, Mr. Bones. Because <laughs> Temen leaves him to uh, go protect his mom. And it's like, it's like Sinjir playing the voice of reason. And it's like, yeah, we have to go back and tell the New Republic. And we can't just go down there because then we'll all die. And I'm like, oh, you've grown. <laughs> <laughs> Has he grown, or is it just self-preservation? Yeah, a little Kawabe, a little Kawabe. <laughs> so, there's a... Re- I, I will admit, the first, like, two parts of the books were really slow for me. Uh, mainly because I felt like a lot of the stuff on Jakku was just kind of, like, one step forward, two steps back, and it was just, like needlessly complicating stuff so that it would take longer for them to find Sloane um, and f- take longer for Sloane to find Rax. Um, but... I, I think for that, that was very much uh, Chuck's sort of thriller background yeah. coming into play there. If you've read uh, if you've read Invasive uh, by Chuck Wendig, that is very much the formula he uses there. Yeah. And I'm not a big thriller person, so... And meanwhile, I love thrillers, so I love the first two parts. <laughs> yeah. But once it got to, like, the third part, um, I, it was, it got really, it got a lot better for me, and, um, I, then I finally, I found myself really wanting for Nor- for, uh, Nora and Sloane to meet up again, um, and there was the part where um, where they, you know, finally, um, you know, all came together and 
Nora realizes that Brenton is with Sloane, I was like, I realized what was going to happen before it happened. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is going to be really bad. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, I do think. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just saying I'm glad that they ended up teaming up for a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. That was the big question for me was, is Nora going to live? Is yeah. Sloane going to live? Are they going to become friends? Turns out the answer to one of those questions is no. It's <laughs> the last one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I kind of agree that the middle, I, I wouldn't say it dragged because it was interesting. Yeah. But it, the stuff with Nima the Hut, it was yeah. kind of yeah. cool to be able to see that like Nima is actually a character it's not just like the place referenced in force awakens right um but that stuff was a little bit all over and i kind of lost track of what sloan's plan was yeah i yeah i I think that was really part of it though she didn't have a plan for a lot of the book Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think yeah. I wanted I wanted her to. It was really cool to see her just punching her way through her problems. I yeah. liked that. But I also, and I think that's very in character for her. It's like literally the first scene in A New Dawn is she's just like destroy everything. Yeah. But um, she, I wanted a little more planning from her there. Yeah. Um. <sighs> Can we talk about Mr. Bones? Of course we can talk about <laughs> yeah. Mr. Bones. Poor Bones. <laughs> so there was like four times throughout the book where I thought he was dead. Yep. And yeah. then, so, well, the way I did it was I listened to the audiobook the whole day on Tuesday. Like mm-hmm. I started it when I got to work and I finished it at like 1130 at night. So I was messaging Bria uh, mm-hmm. all day, like just yelling at her about the book. <laughs> and like, I was like, when I was getting ready to leave work, I was like, okay, I got a couple hours left. I'll probably finish it tomorrow while I'm back at work. And she's like, no, finish it now. So I, was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay. So then at the end, or yeah, towards the end, when Bones in, is when Bones blows up in the ATST, mm-hmm. and then it was before that, but I was like, Bones doesn't die. Like I, I told her, I was like, the surprise is ruined because we know he's going to be coming in the Poe Dameron comic. Yeah. And then she was like, hmm. And then I was like, oh God. Oh, <laughs> oh it's going to be a flashback, isn't it? And yeah. then he got blown up and I was like, God damn it! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. See, I was expecting Mr. Bones to die the whole book. I didn't expect him to go out like that, though. Yeah. Right? And then then I didn't know. And then when, like, they laid Brenton to rest, and then with uh, Temin putting the arm on, I was like, oh. I I will let you tell this story, Nancy. (laughs) (laughs) So, Brian was reading this part. Um, So, I will say the um. We'll talk about it late, more later. But um, the scene when Brenton dies, um, I I I got really emotional when that happened. Mainly because I think you were reading that part, mainly because my husband is reading a part to me about like 
Nora's husband dying and it just kind of like you know got to me and I'm like oh my god this is really sad <laughs> um <laughs> so this the funeral scene happens and um Brian Brian is reading it and then all of a sudden he just like like his voice breaks and I look over and he is like tears streaming down his cheek as he's reading this and i'm like oh my god you're crying and then he's like he got a hold of himself and then and then temin comes over and brings puts mr bones arm in and then and then he lost it again and i was like this is terrible what the hell he's getting emotional now i'll spill your secret that's why my mic's muted (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh no it was very emotional but yeah um i once he he kind of like put himself back together i figured that was the scare uh and then no he he died <laughs> again it was it was he survived an impressive lot before that happened though he did um i guess we should also talk about like the actual battle um which, Megan, you were DMing me and talking about how you loved Krista, and I was, like, going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was so sad. <laughs> it's like, yeah, she's cool. <laughs> Keep reading. <laughs> like, not that she's not cool, yeah. but her whole thing is that she basically has anxiety. Yeah. She's very worried. And... I liked her. Yeah. And I was sad. And yeah. she died a hero's death. She did. The part with the the assault on the ATS, the ATAT, I um as Brian was reading and I went, wait a minute, hold on. Cause they they mentioned the yellow aces. Or he said, like, you know, clear the way for the yellow aces. I said, wait, pause. That's Ray's house, isn't it? And Brian yeah. was like, I think so. And I was like, sweet continue (laughs) i thought that was was, a a neat easter egg i was thinking about going and trying to figure out what happened when in terms of lost stars and Mm -hmm. empire's end but didn't end up actually like making any charts about that but i thought about it yeah i really want um more of a actual like full military account of the battle of jakku <laughs> like like a, like an x-wing book which is the battle of jakku where we just see the military stuff i have a feeling that that is some sort of a multimedia project yeah that uh lucas because i was like i on. really wanted more of that in this book and i know why we didn't because that's not what this book was but i i like that stuff so yeah, especially during that that part where you know the star destroyer is coming down yeah. and everything. It um, if anybody played the Jakku maps on Battlefront from mm-hmm. last year, like when I was listening to the book, that's all I could think about was playing through like that map because they describe it perfectly. Yeah, or Chuck displays it perfectly in the book, and then in the game, it's like completely spot on yeah i would love a map of that battle like a tactical map yeah. with arrows and such i'm drawing it in the air with my hands at the moment <laughs> yeah i want to know if chuck was able to buy battlefront and use it as, as a tax write-off <laughs> they probably just gave it to right? him <laughs> um 
I also the that scene I that was when um I was clutching my face in fear about Wedge. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> because he Brunch wasn't in the book very often, and once mm-hmm. once I realized that it was fo- fake focusing on Nora and stuff, and you know, I was like, okay, is Wedge even gonna be in the? Is he even gonna go to Jakku? And then he did, and I was like, crap, he's gonna die. <laughs> and then so that whole scene, I was clutching my face, just waiting for it, waiting for. And then especially when Temin's like, "Watch out, leader!" You know, I, I, you got some on your tail. I was like, no. And Brian stops reading, looks over at me, and says, "Do you know something I don't?" And I said, "No, I'm just worried." <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God, I don't know spoilers. So when Bones died, I was actually kind of relieved <laughs> that it wasn't Wedge. That it wasn't Wedge, yeah. <laughs> because I just, yeah. My, my connection to Wedge is purely emotional, and my feeling is if Aaron Alston wasn't allowed to kill Wedge, no one is. So that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> I think all authors now are just going to troll everyone with thinking they're going to kill Wedge and not do it. <laughs> I was actually, I guess, pleasantly surprised by how little death there was at the end yeah. of this. Among I really the main was characters. too, yeah. I was really afraid that Sloane would yeah. die. I think and that- yeah. Yeah, and the like the fact that she survived is a, a large topic of discussion, yeah. but it was it was kind of nice that not everyone died. Yeah, I think the deaths that there were were very strategic uh to cause the most pain for everyone. So, you know, <laughs> Brenton dying is, you know, he he was a more of a minor character, but his dying breaks Temin and Nora and oh by the way Temin's droid is also destroyed for maximum angst mm-hmm. um and then Jom dies um and he was you know a very more of a minor character but you know his death broke Jass <laughs> um and I was like yeah, those are very strategic in how they affected the character. I mean, if you are uh, especially a latter era expanded universe fan, you got conditioned for death for the sake of death happening. Yeah. So I guess that's true. I'm a star by star veteran uh-huh, after all. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's it's weird and pleasantly surprising when the deaths are minimal and the deaths that do happen actually serve the plot and the characters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like a lot of times the most even the minor characters are the most painful ones because, I mean, they they don't really have much to go arc wise. So death is some a lot of times the best answer for them. And it hurts really bad (laughs) the other people. Um, So, yeah, um, I guess we should talk about the Empire now. Um, and Gallius Rex, the most awful person in the galaxy. <laughs> Congratulations, Borsk failure. You've been dethroned. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I hate this guy. I don't really know what else to say, except I hate this guy so much. <laughs> well, and there's so many... 
Go ahead, Brian. Uh, and, and mission accomplished. You were supposed to hate him. I, I yeah. I yeah. mean, can't say that. There are so many points, like, and I loved how it started. Like the prelude started with him and Palpatine. Yeah. And like, and then, because that's like right at the Battle of Endor or beforehand, and then. There's another part. I don't. Was it an interlude where um, Palpatine plays like the, the, the little chess game with him? Yeah. Like an act chapter, or if it was a interlude, and then like you just completely see like Palpatine's like madness just like drip into him, mm-hmm. and you can see that's where Rax came from, and then. His speech that he gave right before the battle in Jakku was like, okay, now we can see where Hux came from, you know? Yeah, yeah, that was certainly interesting. Um, you know, it, it was just a little bit, but we got a little bit that I think was very telling about, like, Armitage Hux's sort of mental instability yeah. because of what uh, Brendel Hux had him do and that that one moment where Hux Jr. kind of learns to be cruel to other kids was like oh this is a really short scene but it explains a lot so much and uh yes can we can we just uh, all say here Brendel Hux is a bastard Uh, actually Armitage (laughs) is the bastard (laughs) 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 yeah they they're all kind of jerks and uh yeah, I, I I'm really curious. Like, I still am not certain exactly what the contingency was. Like, was Palpatine yeah. just like, "I'm dead. Screw it all. Burn it all down." You know what this canonized? It canonized that uh, Emperor Palpatine is a damn dirty bur- board tipper. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> True. Yeah. Um, it was. Like- the end of this was interesting because I was expecting a super weapon and it mm. was kind of a super weapon, but it also wasn't. It was it was a map. Yeah. And there's yeah. that idea that Palpatine wanted to just start over again. Yeah. It felt it felt very Knights of the Old Republic mm. to me. Um and it like it was stuff we'd seen before, the the chess metaphor we've seen before but it had that like good classic weird star wars feeling and there are hints that like people went outside the galaxy but some of them came back and they were mad and some of them Mm -hmm. never came back at all like there was this nice sense of mystery yeah i wonder if snoke was one of the other contingencies i'm wondering i got the feeling that snoke was like the the darkness that Palpatine sensed somewhere out yeah. there. Um huh. I mean it it's just like it reminded me a lot of um Vision of the Future and the whole Empire of the Hand thing and how they were like they were preparing for to fight the things in the unknown regions and you know later retcon to be the Yuzon Vong. Um and it it's I like this new idea of the unknown regions being unknown because you can't navigate it and not just because no one's been there. And yeah. that 
that one little mention of Thrawn was so good. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> and like I'm wondering if that's what we're gonna get. We're gonna get some of that in in Thrawn. Um, yeah. a few months um showing how he came into the emperor's favor because he knows these secrets basically um i definitely like more about this sort of new version of the unknown regions because i want to either i want to either read or write the fanfic of the story <laughs> of the explorers who went out and just like yeah. went crazy because oh my... they saw some weird thing oh my god i want that so much yeah. maybe snoke was one of them who went out hmm. and got crazy? Hmm. Um. Uh, I'd probably be okay with that. That's <laughs> not a bad idea. God, now I really need unknown regions, fic, and yeah. books, and other media. Yeah. Can, well, can so, I run that on of Dyson droids? Heck yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, like, so Sloan Sloan's plot for this book is basically wanting revenge on Rex. And that's, you know, her and Brenton are hunting him down and doing whatever they can to find him. And um, I I was so satisfied that she got to kick his ass. <laughs> yes. um, and um, but the, the real meat of the Sloan of the Sloan arc is the the end, <laughs> um, because there were many, many debates about what she, was was she going to die? Was she going to, you know, go try to surrender to the New Republic? You know, Brian always thought that she was the one who surrendered their fleet, maybe. Um, and then there were people who were wondering, was she going to join the First Order? I was one of the ones who did not think she would end up joining the First Order. But that's that's what ended up happening. Um, she goes, she, well, I think that's I, open for interpretation. Yeah, yeah. I, I would debate that, but you can finish your summary and then yeah. <laughs> we've well, already talked about this. Yeah, <laughs> so basically she goes, you know, she goes off. Um, R- Rax tells her, you know, go out and, you know, fulfill the contingency. They go out, you know, in the unknown regions for like, I'm assuming it's months um and assuming that they meet up with the eclipse which is a superstar destroyer that was lost um and uh you know going out with with hux the elder and the younger and all the children and um she even says the words like first order in in one of the in her prose um but um you know that's that's kind of how it ends um and i i i'm so torn because on the one hand i'm kind of like uh sloan why did you go with them because you hate rex but on the other hand i'm like well i could see her wanting to basically start over again a new empire in another galaxy and also it's 30 years between here and the force awakens so I think it's kind of um, it's too soon to say she helps form the first order or she's even there when it when it actually starts building in earnest. Um, well, given where she ended up in the book and kind of what the what she was going after the what the first order ultimately <laughs> turned into, I do not think matches her vision at all. 
So my thought is she was either forced out or met some darker fate somewhere in those 30 years. I think that she's loyal to Palpatine. And when she starts to realize that the Huxes are not necessarily interested in carrying on any particularly noble Palpatine legacy as Sloane sees it, she will break off and and she will not become part of the First Order. I say that because I don't want her to be part of the First Order. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm with I you on that one. <laughs> Like to be, I'd really like to see her ally with the New Republic, um, mm, but yeah. she definitely says she says the words First Order. They're in there. You mm-hmm. can't deny that she's there with the Huxes. But like, as much as I enjoy talking about this from the sort of like fanfic fanfic perspective, like you could write about her forming the first order or whatever i also think that the one thing we can definitely take from this ending is that she's still available to be used in whatever kind of story yes the story group or del rey or combination of those wants her to do next she's been placed on the side of the board and they might not even know yeah what's going to happen with her next so i sort of have hope in the idea that she's not, her fate hasn't been decided yet behind the scenes. I have no idea whether yeah. or not it has or not. But the fact that she's alive, the fact that her and the Huxes have kind of been like shuffled off, to me is, from an entirely out-of-universe perspective, is the writers saying, okay, we can use them if we need them, but we've got 30 years of yeah. in-universe time to figure that out. And, you know, this brings up kind of an interesting meta-narrative discussion. Ten years ago, they probably would have killed Sloane. Yeah. I don't doubt it. And instead, now they put a character like that on the bus because, hey, they might be useful later. And I am very much okay with that method. Yeah. Yeah. I don't... Um, it's always interesting kind of code switching between that meta perspective and the in-universe perspective. Because I really love the in-universe perspective stuff. Mm -hmm. But in this case, I definitely get a lot of hope from that fact that, like you said, they're kind of... If they had really wanted her to to either die, like, and realize that she should have been on the New Republic side, or die and with her last breath pledge allegiance to the First Order, if they really wanted her to do one of those things, they would have done that in this book. Like, her story is not over yet. Yeah. yeah, there were a lot yeah. of of loose ends in this book. And I mean, you could tell a lot of it was just, you know, um, I, I feel like Star Wars authors nowadays are um, they don't want to shut stories off from future authors, which I think exactly. is a really good attitude to have. Um, because like, you know, I, I, you know, I kind of was joking around and I'm like, you know, it's telling uh chuck wendig like i love cinder and condor i love them so much like i want all their stories and he's like well hopefully you know they'll someone will be able to write about them you know and that's you know they they all know they are contributing to canon um in the hopes that someone else takes it and runs with it like john jackson miller had no idea that ray sloan would become who she is um and I'm I'm really glad that they're not that 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 they're they have that mindset of let's leave it open so other stories can be told, um, 
Brian and I did a really good writing, uh, not class, but like a, a, a panel with John Jackson Miller at Celebration Anaheim, which was like writing for a tie-in universe, basically. And he said, like, one of the things, like, when they came in and wrote was, like, that you should never do was never use absolutes. <laughs> um, so, yeah. you, like, say, this never happens um, because then you you can't, n- n- no one else can use that later on. Um, so Panels like that are really interesting to mm-hmm. see the kind of inside baseball of it. And I think it may have been at that same panel. I don't quite remember, but John Jackson Miller is the name that my brain has placed next to this quote in the <laughs> very uh, messy archives. <laughs> is It's sort of like that that mantra for national parks where you leave everything the way you found it. Yeah. Like, you know, you're camping, you don't leave stuff around, like leave the universe the way you found it <laughs> and putting characters outside the galaxy completely accomplishes that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they can do whatever they want with her and they can use her later on to tell a story about like finding Snoke and maybe, and I could see her being like, no, not again. <laughs> or, you know, something like that. So all I can say is that the instant Sloane shows up in another piece of media, I will be very happy. Mm-hmm. I will be writing her name in all caps again. Yes. I did think that, so she was kind of explored psychologically at the end of this book the same way that um, Rax does. And Rax was sort of torn apart, which I think he was a suitable ending for him. But Sloane also kind of had that one conversation with... Um, Brenton Wexley I forgot his first name there for a minute Um, about like she never had a family and yeah. how she kind of regretted that and like her what her weakness was that she never got attached to anyone what did you guys think about that well first of all my first <laughs> the first thing I noticed is that she said she never had a husband or a wife <laughs> so yeah. shout out to headcanon uh ray as bisexual or aromantic bisexual whatever but yes i I appreciated that (laughs) um like i don't know i mean i don't know if she would necessarily regret it but i mean it's kind of like it's it's kind of typical to have like at the end of your life you wonder what might have been you know you wonder what might have been, but I don't think Ray Sloan is someone who dwells on regrets of what might have been. Mm. Which is why she barreled off into the unknown regions. Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> yeah. she's got a chance to do something else and to build something, and she doesn't care what may have been before. Yeah, yeah. it seems like she's like always like, all right, on to the next thing. On to yeah. the next thing, you know? Mm-hmm. That's true. She wasn't she wasn't that swayed since she went off into the unknown regions. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, that definitely struck me as something that we never really saw from her before. Yeah. So we might have seen the origins of Phasma during this scene as well. Yes. <laughs> I was I so didn't glad. catch, I... so I need to go back and reread it. It's, um, 
I actually wrote the page down. Hang on. Um, I can flip to it. Page 274. <laughs> it's the most vague. It's the most vague possible thing. And it's probably like... Hey, we're Star Wars fans. We live for vagaries. What? We're Star Wars fans. We live for vagaries. Yeah. Okay. One of these children is a tall girl with her hair shorn to the scalp. Her face is a dead, emotionless mask. It's Phasma. Yeah, I can That's see it. I, I can <laughs> totally see Chuck working that in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And don't they, do they leave on the Imperialis? They yeah. do, yes. Yeah, so she's, she's part of that group that, that the Hux goes up. So was the, um, so this is going back to the Force Awakens visual dictionary where it says that Phasma's armor is made from the <laughs> armor of oh, one man. of Palpatine's yachts. Yes. Oh, man. Oh. man. Oh. <laughs> I hadn't even put that together. <laughs> you could see all the gears clicking in place in all of our brains. <laughs> Chuck, you brilliant bastard! <laughs> that was that. Yeah. So does that, that now also mean that she's from Jack Jakku? Because those kids were all like kidnapped from Jakku, right? Maybe. I think so. I yeah, mean, she never specified. If but... that is Phasma, I think she's a Jakku native. <laughs> That'd be interesting. That's amazing. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Head headcanon accepted, by yeah. the way. Totally accepted. I'll take all the hints at Phasma backstory. <laughs> that I can yeah. Um, so yeah, there was um, a lot of interludes, just like the rest of the of the series. Um, I, I I'll add one in here because I I I think it ties it into the whole Empire thing. Was the one with Massimeta. Um, which you think is just kind of like a, a one-off of him getting broken out by a bunch of kids, which, wow, how the mighty have fallen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, but then at the end, you know, they Massimeta comes and surrenders. Um, so I was like, oh, that was actually really clever how he did that, you know, because... And it was set up from the first book yeah. to end just like that. Yeah. Um... So yeah, those um I think the one interlude that affected me the most was the one on Kashyyyk. <laughs> um with a uh, lump lumpy or I guess now they're calling him Waru, <laughs> which I think is also <laughs> Chuck trolling people. <laughs> um yeah. But yeah, um so he made the holiday special canon and made me cry in the the process. Freaking Chewbacca got his son back, and oh my god, it's so sad. <laughs> I think that was like the, the first like message I sent to Bria when I was listening to it when I was at work. I was like, Chewbacca's son. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was really, really touching. Um, Brian also did really good Wookiee words, <laughs> <laughs> and um. She, uh, <laughs> she, um, he got to, like, the first part of the interlude and, like, a few words in and went, oh, my God, what the fuck, Chuck? 
Let me try to find it. Um, hold on. Mount random series of consonants and an occasional vowel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hold on. Let me get to it. Just pulling it up on my computer. Interlude Kashyyyk. Um, okay. Here, it's literally like the first sentence. Here on the slopes of Mount Ara. Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's what he did. It's Arayak. Arayak. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what happened. <laughs> Um. So yeah, we got that one. Um, and also, uh, Jar Jar. Is, as yeah. you guys know, he's actually in the book. I I really I liked that scene. I um, did too. I read it before the discourse started. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought it was really sweet, and I thought it reflected the way fans see Jar Jar, like adults would kind of look at him and go, oh, he's sad and weird, and that's exactly how they looked at him in in canon. And But kids think he's funny, and, like, the scene, that's exactly what the scene was. And I, I liked that. I felt kind of bad for Jar Jar. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was really touching. Yeah, and I, I saw some people say, like, oh, he should have been dead, it wasn't good enough for him, and I'm like, it's... It's really sad, you guys. Yeah. I mean, that's, like, it's kind of a fate worse than death for Jar Jar. He's yeah, there exactly. and he is the, he, and he, Jar Jar kind of acknowledges he's the unwitting founding father of the Empire. Yeah. Yeah. Like how he's describing how, you know, people look at him because they, you know, they know that he was the one who was said to give Palpatine the emergency powers, yeah. you know? But so it, he's like... Go ahead. No, it was also, like, he... This It's kind of like his way of getting redemption, you know, by helping cheer up kids. And it yeah. was also this interesting meta-commentary about Jar Jar and who appreciates Jar Jar. And the adults can't stand him, and the kids love him. And it's like... Ooh, that's that's very meta right there. <laughs> yeah, that there was no criticism that you could give that wasn't in that interlude itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and actually, like, that interlude is kind of like what I wished we had seen of Jar Jar in the prequels. Like, I... I I am not a super big fan of his. Like, I think the criticism of him is way overdone. Um, but I do find him pretty annoying. I think if he'd got reined in a lot, he would have been fine. <laughs> um, but I really dislike that he was just kind of dropped from the next two movies. And probably because the backlash was so big. But this is one this is one time where I wish George had like stuck to his guns and like given Jar Jar an arc. Um because I always thought like he could have been like the Neville of the prequels. <laughs> um where he is like not the main character, but he has a similar arc. Um so I, I, I liked seeing him have some growth here. Um, we've got, uh, several, um, interludes that feature characters from previous books, like Elodie. Uh, I want a Tales from Elodie's Superstar Destroyer. 
I really want that. Yeah. That would There's be cool. a whole like colony growing out there. Yeah. And I like that when they mentioned like there's these different political groups. Um, you know, it's not just the Empire and the New Republic, but it's like the different like the corporate sector and the the pirate groups. Like I thought that was really interesting. Um also the acolytes of the beyond are back and being creepy as usual. <laughs> Continuing to be the goths in the corner. Yes. Yeah. Kylo Ren looks up to them. <laughs> uh and Cobb Vanth, who uh if you are listening to of Dice and Droids, he featured in the last episode. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I liked yeah, that- the Acolytes of the Beyond segment. It was it was nice and creepy. I'm always here for especially <laughs> female characters who were like, oh, what's this cool dark side thing? <laughs> and then take it and get kind of corrupted and super powerful. Yeah. Like I'm always here for that. So Yeah. Um Yeah, it's like it's just so many questions of what the hell happens to Vader's saber now? Yeah, right. Yeah, that's still maybe floating around out there somewhere. We're going to see Kylo Ren bust that out in the next movie, maybe? <laughs> yeah. Um. Then we've got the Lando interlude, which is cool because yay, Lando, and also it kind of tied up the plotline from Uprising. Yep. And, um, and I just love like, the way Chuck wrote Lando is awesome. Mm-hmm. It was like, I it probably could be like how I listened to it on the audiobook too, mm-hmm. and the you know the way that the Mark Thompson who did the narration does does Lando's voice and like his method of speaking. But I just I I love that interlude of how he's like, oh, did I get uh, Han and Leia wedding gift? Yeah, <laughs> and then like the little interplays with uh, Lobot, and he's like, no, you did not. And then he's like, oh, well, this is perfect. Now we'll just wrap them in together. Yeah. Like, that's so Lando. Yeah. Um, And then the Kyber Crystal interlude. Yeah, that one was just interesting for me. I just liked the... um, The Christophsis, I think that was that one. Yeah, I was trying to remember which planet was on. But, Mm -hmm. like, I wonder if that has any, like what that sect of people were doing there when they were trying to return the kyber crystals yeah whether they're part of like the guardians of the wills or something yeah or you know there was no mention of it but obviously you can draw those lines and then i just like the mentions of galen and krennic too because mm-hmm. it was like fresh off of rogue one and kyber crystals and catalysts and then like i was like oh yeah galen and you know getting mentioned after return of the jedi that's kind of cool yeah yeah especially because that ties into the clone wars as well which of course ties into catalyst so yeah yeah, it all comes together a little bit i was actually quite surprised to see christophsis again not for any particular reason we just hadn't heard about it in a while Yeah. yeah i um i also liked uh well the the one with uh, the inner acolytes of the beyond one was on Deveron, right? Yeah. I think so. I, when we got to that interlude, I gasped and Brian was like, What? And I was like, Deveron. 
that's where the temple was that Luke explored. And I got really excited. Yep. And then I was really disappointed. <laughs> um but i it it makes me want to know like because he's luke is mentioned several times throughout the book and i want to know what he's doing (laughs) yeah um and when he came back to um when he when he ended up coming back to deveron because he does so i would like to know that um so yeah i think think we got through all of our um notes um i guess we can talk about general impressions of the book <laughs> third acts in a trilogy are always really hard to do and i think for the most part empire's end succeeded at um concluding the story of this cast of characters um A lot of the criticism leveled at this book, I think, stems from people wanting or people wanting the series to be more than what it was. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, this was a series about this band of Imperial hunters. And when it's framed like that, I think it succeeded wildly at telling a complete and satisfying uh, story for all of them. I think we're seeing a very clear shift from stories that focus on the main three to stories that focus on original characters. And um, the Aftermath series does it, Lost Stars does it, Rebels does it. And so far, well, I guess so far isn't quite the right word for that because the trilogy is done. In this trilogy, I think it definitely succeeded in establishing characters that I cared about in the same way, if not just as much as I would have cared about the movie characters. I had, I never felt like they were ancillary to Leia's plot or Luke's plot as an odd example here because he's so mysterious right now. But I never felt that they were placeholder characters. I think they're holding the story really well. Um, I still feel that Life Debt was the weakest of the books, and Empire's End solved a lot of the problems I had with it, and I was definitely, like, I had to pace myself when I was reading it, because I had to kind of snatch time to read it in between work stuff, and at one point I was just like, I need to wait, because (laughs) I need to read the end in a big chunk, because I won't be able to stop once I get there and like, I need to figure out what happens to these characters and to me that's that's a success yeah I am um, yeah um, Mike go ahead um yeah it's basically jumping off what everybody else has been saying it's it's a really good ending to this trilogy and I really like how it portrays you know this story of what happened right after Return of the Jedi where the Empire didn't just completely fall apart, right? right? You know, when the Death Star blew up, you know, obviously in Legends it took even, I mean, (laughs) the Empire like never actually ever ended really. But here it's like you could see so many different parts that are coming together where, there's so many different storylines with the New Republic, and then there's these different parts of the Imperials. You know, there's mm-hmm. Sloan, and then there's Rex, and then Masameda, and then 
the way that it also ties in, you know, the underworld with the bounty hunters and, you know, like the crime gangs, like the huts and the black sun, which gets more um, explained in here in Empire's End. You know, there's still just so many things that are going on in this time period after Return of the Jedi, where, you know, it was like a huge undertaking to try to tell that story and Chuck just completely did a bang up job. Yeah, I um it's funny cuz I I think Life Debt was actually my favorite of the trilogy, but I I I will have to go back and revise my opinion after reading Yeah, Empire's this whole trilogy needs a, <laughs> this whole trilogy needs a reread yeah. for me. Um mm-hmm. I I mean as much as I glom onto the you know, movie characters and Luke, especially, I'm actually really glad that, like Megan said, they're um, going away from those stories um, because, you know, the movies are supposed to be telling those stories now that, you know, we're we're in a different phase of Star Wars where the the movies are first and that they should be the ones to reveal the big secrets like where did Snoke come from and what is the deal with Luke? Um, Mm -hmm. And as much as I want to know all the secrets, I'm willing to wait for the movies to come out and give us that. And, um, but I really want to know like the background of the first order and what happens after this with Sloan and, when exactly does Snoke come in and how does he exactly, you know, seduce Kylo Ren to the dark side and what happens with the New Republic for all of these years and what happens with the Jedi Order? <laughs> um, and it's so funny that a, a book that doesn't feature like any of the main characters really from The Force Awakens end up having me give me so many more questions about the sequel trilogy. And I think that's why it succeeds. And this is what this is what the literature um, needs to do going yeah, forward. This is really why the Aftermath trilogy, I think, was so successful. Um, towards the tail end of Legends, the universe felt really small and tiny. It was about this tiny group of Jedi and the people really close to them, and that was all it ever was. Here, we've got Aftermath, which tells the story but about these characters – But it also lays the groundwork and plants the seeds for so many different stories to be told Mm -hmm. in this time frame. And it's been a long time for me since Star Wars literature has felt as open as it is now. And the characters are so diverse, both in what they do and also like their their importance. Yeah. Like you've got Ray Sloan, who is a grand grand admiral, and Rax, who's leading the Empire, and Mon Mothma, who's leading the New Republic, and then someone like Sinjir or Jess, you know, and they all have, you know, the same importance in the story. And um where it's not like the last few fate of the jedi books where um the in the dramatis personae everyone was jedi knight jedi master jedi knight jedi (laughs) apprentice (laughs) so yeah like it's nice to have to have the the jedi academy stuff and the uh the big three as well but i just realized like this is not 
that's not the way the new EU works, and right. I think that's fine. Well, and even the old EU was at its best a lot of the times when it was Excellent. taking these side roads. Like the aftermath is the modern X-wing series mm-hmm. about the grunts who are making the universe go mm-hmm. with these with these major film characters jumping in and out, but it's ultimately not about them. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I do definitely want like a, you know, a book series or comic or something with when Luke finally starts his Jedi Academy, you know, I want the book where where, what Luke and Ben were doing during bloodline. Like I want that book, but I'm, you know, I, the book's aftermath has succeeded in both answering a bunch of questions I had about the time after Endor and giving me so many more questions. Well, af- <laughs> af- yeah. Aftermath created the po- possibilities for a dozen yeah. other novels. Yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. I mean, the whole like the whole plot of life debts, do- you know, stemmed from an interlude in aftermath. So. You know, I can definitely see something in one of these interludes end up becoming the plot of a book somewhere down the line. So yeah, Aftermath. It was a good trilogy. Empire's End was a good book. It's a good trilogy, Bron. Yeah. Good trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And I look forward to the further adventures of Ray Sloan and maybe <sighs> some other people. Yes. The further adventures of Sinjir and Condor. Yes, <laughs> drunk <laughs> and snarky. <laughs> if you have any Sinjur and Condor fic, please send it my way. Yes, Thank please. you, please. Don't make me write it all myself. <laughs> well, I might be writing a, an RPG campaign, apparently, so yeah. we can write together. Yeah. Excellent. I am in favor of this. <laughs> all right. Uh, what do you say we wrap up there? We've, this How is the long long, is this We are approaching two hours. This is the longest <laughs> TS, uh, TSR we've recorded in about three years. Oh. Thanks, Chuck. <laughs> Thanks, Chuck. Hey, uh, Mike, where can we find you online? Sure. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mike underscore Audet. Um, I'm mostly over at the Far, Far Away Radio Network. Uh, currently, we're recording our Return of the Jedi audio drama, which will be coming out some, some point once we finish recording it. Um, and then... We're also working on a secret project where you might be hearing some more information about that by celebration. And then I also write over at coffeewithkenobi.com. So, yeah, that's me. Very cool. And uh, Megan? Um, I can be found at, at blog full of words on Twitter. I write for StarWars.com, Star Wars Insider, and Den of Geek. And I might also have a new project coming up that you will hear about after Celebration. So there's plenty to look forward to. And you can find Megan on Western Reaches with Saf on the Tashi Station Network. (laughs) Oh, gosh, that's also important. (laughs) That's that other thing you do. All right. Well, this episode of Tashi Station Radio has been brought to you in part by Her Universe and you are Patreon subscribers. Check out the links on the blog and help keep the lights on here. And thank you for subscribing to Patreon to get us this new recording gear. 
On Twitter, you can find us with the handles Tashi underscore station. That's the official show account. You can find Nancy with Nancy Pants. That's Nancy with an I. You can find me with Lane Winry, L-A-N-E-W-I-N-R-E-E. On Facebook, we're the Tashi Station Network. Uh, you can find us on the iTunes Store, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, please do leave a review. It helps us grow the show. Uh, you can find our columns and news at Tashi-Station.net. Thanks for listening to another episode. Catch you all next time. Bye. May the force be with you. So long. This podcast has been brought to you by Majestic Giraffe Productions and is the official podcast of TashiStation.net. All Star Wars names, music, and logos are property of their respective trademark and copyright holders. Tashi Station Radio is not endorsed by Lucasfilm or any division of the company. Now go pick up some power converters. Oh, my God.